You are listening to a podcast from The National. The UAE is becoming a global hotbed for entrepreneurs and, as part of the country's efforts to diversify the economy, encouraging that spirit of innovation is vital. Helping to drive such business creativity is Ramesh Jaganathan, the Vice Provost for Innovation and Entrepreneurship and the Managing Director of Start AD, the Innovation and Entrepreneurship Platform at NYU Abu Dhabi. This is the Business Extra podcast. My name's Chris Nelson, and recently Ramesh joined me in the studio to talk about how developing the country as a leading innovation center and providing the necessary tools for startup creators here is at the heart of the UAE's commercial outlook. Good afternoon, Ramesh, and thank you very much for your time uh, uh, coming into the studio today. I wonder if, first of all, you could give us a brief explanation uh, of Start AD, uh, what it does, and um, what uh, what your role is there. Uh, it's a pleasure, Chris. Um, I'm happy to be here. Excited about it. Um, you know, my name is Ramesh Jagannathan. Um, I'm the Vice Provost for Innovation and Entrepreneurship at uh, NYU Abu Dhabi. And I'm also the Managing Director for Start AD. Uh, I joined NYU Abu Dhabi in 19, um, in 2009, spent a year in New York, and then came here in the inaugural year 2010. Um, one of the main purposes, I spent 30 years at Eastman Kodak Company, a major multinational organization. I have a lot of corporate experience. Uh, one of the reasons uh, I was asked to join and I chose to come uh, used to help um, through NYUAD uh, with the transition um, uh, to become a knowledge economy and a dominant knowledge economy. Uh, in the first year when I came here, I was actually asked to be a, a, a certified expert to certify the 2030 Abu Dhabi vision. I was mm-hmm. one of the five uh, experts um, who was asked to do that. So, um, my approach, uh, you know, whenever I take on um, the specialty that I, uh, if you can ask, if you ask me what I, if I can describe myself, you know, in a nutshell, uh, I love to take abstract concepts, um, pull global teams together, and create a tangible technology or a product in a short time frame. That's what I have done. Uh, throughout my uh, you know, 30 years of career at Kodak, I worked in, I also have the philosophy that I have to reinvent myself every five years. So I have worked in uh, various parts of uh, this major multinational corporation, uh, starting in research, advanced development, uh, manufacturing, the factory, uh, supply chain, open innovation, technology scouting, and so on and all that. So I have a good uh, understanding of uh, the whole, how the corporate, the big companies work. And uh, so when I was asked to join, uh, I initially what I did was, you know, what is at stake here? So I did a significant amount of um, uh, benchmarking and also um, uh, data collection. Uh, what came out of it was pretty exciting to me. Um, what I found out was, I see when, you, when people talk about knowledge economy, um, the key um, foundation on which any knowledge economy um, rests or sits on is the middle class, right? So the key thing. So the first knowledge economy in the world, of course, a uh, very successful one was the U.S., and it was post-World War II. And the middle class there at the time was about 140 million. 
So the middle class now in you know, 2019 going forward is close to uh, 3 billion plus. Actually, the global middle class is 5.2 billion, mm-hmm. out of which 3 billion are in the India, China, and Africa corridor. We are very much part of that, right? So um, right now, the U.S. middle class is around 300, and, um, you know, three, 300 million. So we have 3 billion in this. So look at the, do the math. So there is a significant uh, middle class in this corridor, right? That's the first thing. Um, secondly, what came out of it was, you know, when we talk about the middle class, um, you know, they need products and services. That's the knowledge economy. When people talk about uh, the U.S., it's a consumer economy, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, 78%, uh, 70% of the GDP is based on consumer spending, right? Someone has to make um, products and services for the middle class, right? Mm-hmm. So, so when I took a look at and say, well, how are we going to compete, a small nation like uh, UAE, in the larger picture? You know, um, what came out was very interesting. Um, if you use uh, S&P 500 um, as the barometer, the products and services they make, the revenue stream, um, you know, that was very interesting. If you take the world population, you can put them in two buckets. Um, 20% in the developed economy bucket, and then 80% in the um, emerging economy bucket. And the world GDP is split 50-50 between them. But the interesting thing is the S&P 500 revenue streams, 90% comes from the 20% bucket. Mm. Only 10% comes from the emerging bucket, right? That's very interesting. So when you look at it, who is going to cater to the 3 billion? middle class, right? The uh, As you recently heard, Apple is actually trying to cater to the higher income uh, people. So in the 20th century, it was okay to ignore the middle class because it was non-existent, right? But now India, China are really roaring up. UAE is coming up. Uh, UAE, people say, is a very small country. But if we can actually take on the leadership role for the entire MENA region, that's about 300 million, right? So you can't ignore half the world population, yeah. right? So it's a huge opportunity. It's a white space. So I said, yes, I'm going to be there, mm-hmm. right? That's what brought me to NY Abu Dhabi, right? So uh, around three years ago, um, I've been actually uh, working towards this. Um, I'll cover that later, if, you know, if it piques your interest. Um, I raised $100,000 as a a seed money, and I bootstrapped it. Uh, We launched a series of programs aimed at helping to build the ecosystem here, and it was just testing the waters. Uh, We were very successful uh, through conventional metrics. So then the next year, I was able to raise $8 million uh, for the three-year runway with clear KPIs and so on. Um, we rolled out the program, um, so uh, that's what became Start ED. Mm-hmm. And who, start, who were the uh, who did you raise the money from? Um, it came in through our channels. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, so the interesting thing, uh, you know, uh, about the program is it is built on three fundamental. I looked at it and say, well, how am I going to build the ecosystem? Right. That means the first thing is that you have to bring down the barriers. Right. Uh, so I said, in order to do that, I'm going to take on three foundational principles, right? One, I'm going to um, focus on quality. We cannot compromise on quality, right? So NY, everything that we offer is NYUAD branded. And two, we are going to be inclusive. It's not just about some select people. It's about the entire community. It's building mm. a nation, mm. right? It's open to everyone. And our programs have to cater to all of them, right? That's the intent, right? Because you have to solve the hard problems. If you solve the easy problems, you're not really going to get to the finish line. 
And the third thing is that uh, it's going to be free to anybody who participates in the program, you know. Um, so that's the three uh, principal foundational guiding principles, pillars that we started with. And we put a platform of innovation on top of it. And that actually became Start AD. Mm -hmm. And we are in the third year. Uh, I'll just wrap it with one thing and then you can, you know, let's come back mm -hmm. to it and visit it a little bit more. So if you say, um, so Ramesh, that's great. You know, you've done all this. How do you measure success? Mm. It's very important. My fundamental principle after having spent three decades in corporate world is that if you cannot measure something, don't do it. Because you don't know if you're, you know, succeed, succeeding or failing or spinning your wheels, right? It's a waste of time. So one of the key programs that we run is called Venture Launchpad. It's a 10-day sprint acceleration program that, you know, actually brings the corporates in the region, for example, Etihad, um, Adnog Distribution, UAE Exchange and a bunch of others. And uh, we work with them. We, talk, we talked a little bit about corporations earlier. Mm -hmm. Corporations are generally risk covers. Uh, their loyalty generally lies to the stockholders. That's what it should be, right? Because they are in the upper part of the S-curve. Um, so we work with them and find out where the gaps are, where the opportunity spaces are. And then we source globally startups that actually work in that space and we bring them together and we run these programs. We were, in the last three years, we've run over, uh, graduated about 100 startups and they've gone on and raised $10 million, created uh, 100 jobs. To me, that's a good start. Mm -hmm. You see, I'll stop here. So, um, so that's what StartED is about. So we're looking to scale, and I can tell you a little bit more about it, but then we can come back and mm -hmm. also talk about uh, the role of corporations, how do we position UAE? Uh, what is, you know, how do we, what do we do with Silicon Valley, mm -hmm. you know, um, and so on. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, as you were saying, you know, how do we position it within this country? What, how do you think at the moment does um, entrepreneurialism and innovation um, impact uh, the general economy of the UAE at the at present? Um, I think we are beginning to um, see signs of significant um, uh, signs of growth in that space. Uh, it's obviously, I always tell people that, you know, uh, you, entrepreneurship and innovation is homegrown. It's an ecosystem. Drawing the, you know, the words from biology, ecosystem is from the organically grows from the ground up, right? That takes a, a, a long time. So we have to be in for the long haul. But that doesn't mean that we are not going to see successes early on, right? So uh, we have a fantastic leadership in the government, uh, both, in, both in Abu Dhabi and in the, in the UAE in general. Uh, we also have the first minister of AI, right? Mm -hmm. AI, and we can talk a little bit more about it, is actually uh, the second uh, machine age. It's remarkable, you know, what is happening. And uh, by 2030, there's going to be uh, about $16 trillion dollars uh, due to uh, the global, added to the global GDP through AI. Which is and a huge amount. That's a yeah. huge amount. And uh, so uh, the, if you look at one of the uh, opportunity spaces, uh, you always have to position yourself on a, you know, it's like catching the wave, mm -hmm. right? So AI is a wave and China is going to be, you know, is a leader in that space. After the 16 billion trillion, China is, is projected to take half of it. US is only going to take less than a quarter. We are in the India-China-Africa corridor, right? So if you really look at uh, one of the top five sectors that are being impacted significantly are disrupted by AI is uh, travel and tourism sector. 
the uh, travel and tourism sector contribution to the EUA GDP is close to 6%, right? I don't know if you remember the famous uh, statement by the, um, the chairman of General Motors in the 70s, I think or probably early 80s. He said, at the time, GM's contribution um, to the uh, U.S. economy was about 5% or something. Then he said, what's good for GM is good for America, is what this famous term. So I'm saying, what's good for travel and tourism in the region is going to be huge because we're just, AI is going to really dominate the space. So in that sense, I think uh, having a minister of AI is absolutely a validation from the top down. And start AD, you know, the key, one of the key areas that we're working on is AI. And there's a lot of opportunities here. And is that, um, is that uh, development of AI um, via uh, startups and companies that are homegrown? Or is that companies and startups that you attract to the country? And then perhaps, uh, you know, the transfer of knowledge is, is, is how it will develop. That's a great question. So as I mentioned, it's a long haul, right? Um, so we need to have both. So we, in StartAD, we work on uh, two types of programs. For example, we work with Khalifa Fund, and we run the Riptikari program. One of the mandates for our program is to uh, grow the local capacity. So we particularly focus on it. We have a long-term plan in building up that capacity up. Right? So, but they are embedded into many of the other programs that we do, for example, the Venture Launchpad program. So our philosophy is that in order to build the ecosystem, we have to seed it, we have to fertilize it, right? So the way we do that is we bring the excellence from outside the world into this, and UAE and the Middle East is a hot market mm -hmm. for most people, right? And also uh, a lot of uh, startups in India actually would like to come to the UAE and expand the market in the Middle East. So it's a ripe opportunity for us. Mm -hmm. um, you are uh, confident that uh, the UAE can rival Silicon Valley. Um, that's quite a claim um, or quite an ambition. Um, how do you see uh, the UAE uh, achieving that, um, that level? And do we mean from a point of view where it will it will rival it in terms of investment, of uh, uh, international investment, or in terms of um, uh, innovation in that the the products that it makes will or develops or invents will will put it on the same level as as Silicon Valley? That's a great question, and uh, I don't say it very lightly. Um, I don't know exactly what the products and services and all those sectors that are going to be, but. The, uh, we have a landscape that actually helps us to become a dominant player. Let me explain this. So I initially said, based on the S&P 500 uh, revenue streams, there's a huge white space, right? Somebody is going to f walk in and populate that white space. Silicon Valley, um, would they be able to swing and play in this market? Unlikely, unlikely, not not, because the business models are built to cater to the higher income middle class, right? So they will, they are basically priced out, okay? But they can focus on the US and the Western market and still be pretty dominant. But the interesting thing is the AI, right, um, is happening in, you know, the, China is leading the AI, okay? And it's happening in our backyard, right? And that is going to, drive a lot of new technologies. That's the second machine age, right? So, you know, there's a huge distance barrier and consumer disconnect between what Silicon Valley does and what, you know, is happening in the space, right? So when I look at it, that's an opportunity for us. We should not just look at it as UAE itself. We should look at this as MENA, right? So 
how do we play to win in this space, right? So if you, uh, if you take a look back post-World War II, when the entrepreneurial economy in the Silicon Valley kicked up, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the, the countries like China and India did not really have a middle class to speak of, right? In the 60s, in the 70s. But in the late 1940s, you know, the transistor was invented, right? Um, you know, the first product that came out of uh, transistor was the hearing aid. You know, Raytheon made 200,000 of it. That's the early adapter, right? That's the killer app. So, and then they built the transistor radio, and then VLSI came, and then the rest is history, right? That's the wave that uh, Silicon Valley rode. But the new wave is AI, right? So, but the way this electronics revolution in the U.S. and Silicon Valley was built, essentially, I may exaggerate a little bit, but the point is accurate, is that it was built on the backs of Indians and Chinese who had, you know, the big brain drain from these two countries. They went to Silicon Valley. Intel now has 35% Indians or something. Mm. It's, so they were the backbones. They built the Silicon Valley. But now the middle class has expanded, right? Uh, India has a huge middle class, right? China has a huge middle class, and we are right, you know, they are in our backyards, right? We have an amazing amount of wealth, mm-hmm. and we have great leadership and good strategy, right? So I, uh, the one third of the startups that go through my StartDD program, StartDD program are from um, India. I'm talking to some key uh, people in China. They are planning to work with me to bring some Chinese startups here. That sounds funny, but, you know, because UAE is a strong market, mm-hmm. really strong. So what I see happening is that the AI and the entrepreneurial economy engine that drives AI is going to be happening in India and China by the Indians and Chinese who built the American, who were the backbone uh, of the Silicon Valley uh, genesis, right? So we are going, if we position ourselves, we can actually ride the wave with India and China and become an, and lead MENA, which is 300 million people. Yeah, That's yeah. the size of the U.S. Yeah. So it is an opportunity space to really uh, be a dominant player in the world, in the digital economy, mm-hmm. right? Let's look at the other mindsets that you're, um, Apple, right? They don't want, they provide end to end solutions. They don't want anybody to mess with the products, right? But if you look at uh, the Gen Z population, right, they are just entering the market, you know, job market. They are entering the colleges. If one key, they are called the digital natives, they actually, Mm. you know, help shape the digital culture. The one characteristic of the DNA of the Gen Z is that um, they like products and services that they use to reflect who they are, reflect their cultural sensibilities and so on. And they want them to be flexible enough to change with time. One thing American products are, they are not that, right? And so, you know, also if you look at um, the Chinese aging uh, demographic, in the next 10 to 20 years, the number of people above 65 years of age in China is going to be about 315 million people. Right, so think of the entire U.S. population. It only has people sixty-five years or older. Mm. What kind of products and services would they want? Would they want, you know, uh, Google glasses? Mm. I don't know. So this is an opportunity of unprecedented historic proportion. That, for whatever reason, the U.S. and the Silicon Valley will not play in. Culturally different, generationally different. 
right? And China is way ahead. India is humming, mm. and we have amazing leadership. If we lose this to be on top of the world, it's for us to lose. Not you see what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Um, given that we're in that, the UAE particularly is, is in that um, position. Obviously, for that to to uh, for that ambition to be realised, the companies that are in, that are driving it have to be um, capable of of um, providing the uh, innovation energy, if you like, to to, yeah. to, to uh, spark that. Um, the National did a, uh, an article recently um, based on a report from Oracle that was saying um, generally uh, uh, corporations and companies, those who were trying to innovate within those corporate setups, the majority of them were saying that the majority of the in- innovations they come up with never see the light of day. Yes. What, what is the reason for that and how can it? how does it need to change in order that that kind of almost wastage, if you like, is eliminated? That's a great question. I worked at Kodak. About 90% of the projects in the R&D we worked on never saw the light of the day. We had literally hundreds of thousands of patents that are just sitting on the shelf because it didn't make business sense for for the company to commercialize them. And it's not a surprise, right? Um, Because, um, you know, there is the so-called S-curve, right? You know, at the bottom, the startups, the real entrepreneurial companies, the small startups are at the bottom, at the toe, right? That's how Silicon Valley started, right? But then as they grow very quickly and they go to the top of the curve, right? You know, when Apple, Microsoft, right? Facebook, they're all over there, Mm. right? So what happens is that, let's look at the culture, of the companies that are at the bottom, which are the startups, and the culture of the companies at the top, right? Startups, what's the key characteristics of startups? Fail, fail, a lot of failures, a lot of pivoting, right? Fail fast, fail early, where you learn from it and you build up. That's the culture. They can do that because they're small, right? They don't have an established large client base, so the cost of failure is not high, right? And they are, so that's the freedom that they have, Mm -hmm. right? But they can disrupt because they are just so agile, they can actually come up with disruptive innovations, right? Fast. Very fast, right? So that's that. But look at, so Silicon Valley was that, a post-World War II, a lot of great innovations to some, that's why it just kick-started, right? But then look at the companies uh, at the top of the S-curve, right? They have a large client base. They have a brand they have to maintain. They have a market share they have to maintain. The one key mantra in the com- big companies that you don't want to lose your market share because you'll never get it back, mm. right? So you, by de- and your loyalty is to the shareholders, not to the people, right? So what you do is that they, they go, they, they develop platforms, right? Like iPhone is a platform. Mm-hmm. So a lot of innovations on the iPhone ba- is based on the platform. They put Siri, they put a camera, they put all kinds of stuff, right? But it's the platform of innovation doesn't change, right? They have to do that because if they take on acting like the startups, right? They're going to be significant. They'll take hits, and that'll show up on the bottom line. That'll show up on the brand, right? That'll kick in the market share down. Right? So those are not acceptable. Mm, shareholders right? will not be happy. You know. <laughs> so if you look at the Silicon Valley now, in the Silicon Valley, you know, in the 70s and all that, when I was in grad school, all the things that I heard about was how exciting to go and do a startup in Silicon Valley. Now I hear is that, oh, it'll be great to work at Google or Facebook. You know, this is actually a warning sign mm-hmm. because they're losing the entrepreneurial edge Right, success to many other people in Silicon Valley is that can they exit to Facebook? It's not about let's create disruptive change on the ground, right? But you need both. Mm. For example, 
I'll tell you the story. It was the New York Times about Apple. Apple wanted to bring manufacturing back to the U.S., right? So they said, let's make the high-end Mac in Texas or whatever, right? Because they can't do the low-end ones because the, the cost of labor is very high. But let's try the high. But they couldn't do it because, you know what? There are some special small screws that they go in them. They didn't have enough supply of them. And they could get that in China, but they don't want to do that. They have, so it actually boiled down to a guy, a company which had less than, you know, it's a small company. You know, he could only make 2,000 at a time or something. He was actually driving those things to that uh, uh, factory and delivering on them. You see, so the big companies, the SMEs, they are all part of the ecosystem. But if the big companies dominate the economy, it's going to slow everything down. So the realization in the UAE is that what we feel is that we, have, we are starting fresh. So we can set up the ecosystem where there is a room for a lot of startups because they are the engine of innovation, right? They also need to work on innovations that have a landing zone, right? They're working on real problems, right? Who knows about the real problems and the big companies, the private sectors here, right? There are five major competencies in this region that are global standards. Aviation, right? We have two major airlines here, right? Shipping, and logistics and transportation, the Jabal Ali, you know, I think 50 to 60% of the global traffic goes through there or whatever. Energy, ad hoc, biggest mm -hmm. energy. They all have to digitalize and modernize. FinTech, we have those pillars, those infrastructure. It's extremely important for success to have the infrastructure there. We have the infrastructure. We have NY Abu Dhabi, which is a major global brand. Huge amount of fantastic research that's going on. So they can, over a period of time, pump in all that research. We have startups like Start AD, mm -hmm. right, uh, bringing global startups into the region, right, from um, also from India. I think that it's the most exciting time, I think, to be here in Abu Dhabi, mm. you know, because I see, I can smell it, I can taste it, right. So uh, anyway, I hope I'm able to answer that question. Absolutely, yeah. Um, um, I wonder if you could give us, uh, just out of interest, some examples, possibly local and, and, and international, of um, innovation or, or uh, an invention that um, seemed like a good idea at the time, but ultimately was a was a failure, and, and what what that reason might have been. But also on the flip side, mm -hmm. some examples of ones that have really, really taken off and done really well that uh, we see here. Yeah, I think uh, the thing that immediately comes to my mind, I'm sure that I can think of uh, more examples, is that, you know, around the year 2000, right, when, uh, you know, the internet bubble, just before 2000, before the bubble burst, there was a lot of excitement, real good, solid excitement, founded on good data, mm -hmm. right? Um, everybody said everything is going to be online, right? And uh, rightfully so, right? Now, looking back on it, yes, a lot of things are online. Amazon is an example, right? So one of the exciting, many top uh, innovators and finance strategists and so on, investors jumped on what's called the web van. I don't know if you remember that. No, and pets.com. <laughs> web van was really huge, you know, so much excitement about it. But then the bubble burst and they went under. But you know what? Web van said... Uh, online, you tell me what you want. You tell me, you know, we, for example, you want to go to Vons or Trader Joe's or whatever it is. We will collect it and we will deliver it to you. It's called a web van because we will actually drive it to you, right? That's the early stage idea of what mm -hmm. Amazon is today. Mm -hmm. But it fell on its face, right? Mm -hmm. The reason is, it's like the famous statement, don't serve any wine before it's time. They just got a little bit ahead of themselves, 
right? But then Amazon came on, tweaked it. They went the way of, you know, um, the warehouses and so on and all that. And they are dominant now, right? So to me, um, that's a classic example because, you know, um, there's really not a major difference in my opinion between the concept behind WebVan and uh, Amazon, but Amazon is now in everybody's life. Mm-hmm. You see what I mean? That's a huge innovation. It's just a little off cycle, you know, yeah. off phase yeah. for a web. So that's one. The really, the exciting thing that I, uh, is the Uberization of, you know, the, it's a platform. So as you digitalize, you know, for the success stories, mm-hmm. right? As you digitalize the world, you know, one of the things I would like to see happen in UAE and Abu Dhabi is they should just digitalize everything the SMEs and everything else, put a platform like Alibaba, right? That's what Uber said. It's not only digitalization. Let's give the power to ordinary people. Like, so if people have free time, if they want to drive, they can drive and make some money, right? So there are a lot of Uber type of flat platforms that are coming up now everywhere that makes a lot of sense, right? Um, Airbnb, mm-hmm. right? So, so basically you d- take the localization of power localization of creation of wealth from the big companies and distribute it to everybody. It's democratization of the innovation. That's why Uber, Airbnb are so powerful because they distribute wealth creation. It's a whole new capitalism Mm. that we have never seen before, right? So that's what I'm very excited about. There are other ways to also um, think about how to be successful on these types of platforms. I'll give you one example. Um, The famous example is Alibaba. It's one of my favorite companies, Last actually. Chinese, yeah. Uh, company, yeah. So, you know, when they started, it was very much like eBay, right? So uh, they said, well, eBay was in China, you know, so this young guy trying to do Alibaba, they said they can never compete with eBay, right? You know what he did? He said, well, for the next three years or so, um, I think it's, um, I forget, I, um, it's a, I forget there's a name, a particular uh, product that he offered on the digital platform, Taobao. Mm. It's called uh, Digging for Gold. Um, He offered it for free to people, the merchants and everybody else. So um, the Western business people, probably eBay and I said, they laughed and said, you know, free is not a business model. You know what he did? He customized it. He shaped it, tweaked it. And he had a three-year window where he just amassed a huge customer base. And it was very difficult for eBay to be, they just pushed them out, right? The rest is history. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So the the world outside of the West is very different. You know, they think differently, like Kareem, right? And uh, one of the things I understand is that they can take cash, the Kareem in the Egypt, I think. I think so. The same thing about Ola in India, I was just there, you know, they can take cash or credit mm-hmm. card. Mm-hmm. In the US, you know, they have to use the credit card system. That's the whole idea, right? But in emerging com- countries, not many people have credit cards. Mm-hmm. Maybe they have may have other way of paying for the thing. Mm-hmm. But what I'm saying is you have to be nimble. You can't say, this is how I'm going to do business. And you can't force that in, right? Anyway, so I think I'm very excited about uh, the digital platforms, democratization of innovations, and giving the power of, you know, doing business to the smaller people, right? Um, yeah, that's mm-hmm. what's exciting to me. It's fascinating. Well, the other thing that I want to mention is that the Gen Z and the giving the power of driving change to the people, yeah. the concept of brand, the brand definition is changing. Right now, when you talk about brands, you talk about Coca-Cola, right? You talk about Apple, talk about Google, all right? They are held by these big companies, but with the Gen Z and the you know distribution of um, you know um, 
the market, the people, the Uberizations concept, the brand, the concept of brand is going to you know, be slowly shift to the people, mm. right? Mm -hmm. That's a huge shift. What is the brand? Who owns the brand? It's owned by a lot of different people because it is a whole new paradigm. Yeah, yeah. Um, just to finally wrap up, Pramesh, uh, that was fascinating. Um, what, if any, invention or innovation uh, do you see today that you think to yourself, I really wish I had been behind that? You know, ever since I was a child, I wanted to go to the U.S. and be one of the greatest scientists ever lived. That was my dream, right? Isaac needed so. Uh, <laughs> if you, I'm a geek at the bottom of my heart, right? Um, the invention of the semiconductor. Wow, what a what a beautiful innovation yeah. that has changed the way we live, right? Yeah, yeah that's to me is my most favorite uh, one. Ramesh, uh, thank you very much for your time this afternoon. That's been fascinating. Thank you. It's a pleasure. I'm honored. Thank you very much. Many thanks to Ramesh Jaganathan for that insight into the wonderful world of innovation. And thanks also to Kevin Jeffers, our production editor today. My name's Chris Nelson. That was the Business Extra podcast. And join us again next week.